0: Let's let's get into it. I am Foster. I don't know why I hesitated on that. I know who I am. Or do I? Do I really, though? That is the question. At this stage in life, at this moment in time, in this year, do I actually know who I am? Do any of us really know who we are? Truly? I mean, honestly? Think about that for a moment. Yeah, just sit with that. Sit and ruminate that one for a moment. Do I know who I am, truly, maybe we do, maybe it's just a question that we're always going to ask, that is constantly going to repeat, for which there really never will be an actual, honest answer, or maybe you do actually know yourself, I I don't know, but it's one to think about, right? I am pretty sure, though, that I am Mal Foster, and I'm absolutely certain that you are listening to the latest episode of Dimed Out. And at the time of recording this, it is International Dogs Day. It obviously won't be by the time you hear this. But just to give you a little peek at behind the scenes, because I know that you're so curious about how this, this sausage is made. <laughs> Sorry, I just weirded myself out by using that phrase. Never really re uh, Oh, words. Just so hard, but yeah, it is International Dogs Day at the minute. Almost said <laughs> International Dogs Dinner, which this podcast is actually becoming very quickly. Except it's more just like a regional Dogs Dinner. Um, yeah, International Dogs Day. So even though I am more of a cat man, I uh, I want to send out a little bit of love to all the dogs out there. If you've got a, I'm not going to say doggo because I hate that phrase. Hate that phrase. It just sounds so stupid, doggo. If you've got dogs and you love them, which hopefully you do, because otherwise, why do you have them if you don't? Um, Show them some love. Give them some uh, tummy scratches. Give them some belly tickles. You know, tell them they're a good boy or a good girl. You know, love thy dog, and thy dog shall love you. Which uh, was uh, not one of the commandments given out with the other ten. Should have been, if you ask me. If I'm going to make some sort of uh, editorial judgment. Should definitely have put something in there about animals, if there isn't one. I don't know. Is there? I, I can't be bothered to look this up. Someone will tell me. Is there a commandment about animals? There should be. Definitely should be. Um, but yeah, International Dog Day. So uh, yeah, give give some love into your dogs and your cats and and just pets in general. You know, show your pets some love. You might have a rabbit. You might have a budgerigar. You might have um a ferret. Don't know why you'd have a ferret. You might have a pet rat. You might be one of those people. Yeah, never got that. Never got the people with the pet rats. Just never... Never really got into that mindset. Couldn't quite tune myself into that frequency to keep a rat as a pet. Just never saw the appeal. But hey, if you're a rat guy, if you're a rat gal, if you've got rats, you know, by choice... <laughs> Show them some love. If you've got rats and it's not your choice, and they're just taking over your house, or they're burrowing their way into the bathtub like that one absolutely mental episode of hoarders, uh, don't don't go don't go give them love. Just you know, call an exterminator or, or, or go stay with your auntie or something. Just just leave those rats alone. Did you ever see that episode of hoarders? Absolutely crazy where they had just burrowed inside the hollows of the bathtub. And when they came out, it was just like a sea of rats charging through the guy's house. Absolutely crazy. Crazy stuff. If you've not seen it, you definitely should. In fact, I'll try and find it and put it in the show notes over at the website, which is dimed-out.com, by the way. Anyway, uh, yeah, I seem to have distracted myself, but that is kind of par for the course at the minute. It's kind of survival... 101 in 2020, I think you'd agree. Uh, Because it's crazy out there. Let's be honest, I I really don't want to talk about it at the minute. I will at some point. We have to. As we move closer towards the end of the year, towards the impending election, and as we make, hopefully, more progress within the sort of COVID arena, and things change, uh, we will talk more about it. I think we have to, I think it would be irresponsible not to. One of the reasons I started doing this show was to kind of document what's happening in the world at this time. But right now it's just, uh, yeah, it just feels like it's worse. It feels like it's getting worse, you know, metaphorically in a big picture sense. It feels like some days the walls are just really closing in, but um, just have to remain as positive and as hopeful as we can, I guess. You know, I've talked about it before about distracting myself by keeping busy, by applying what I refer to as shark mentality, and it works, it really does. Uh but there's a there's a balance to be found that I'm still still working on and I think I always will be. It's keeping myself informed, keeping myself busy, but learning and uh letting myself let go and just take my foot off the accelerator and stop doing certain things, which I have been doing. I'm trying to stay informed, but I'm not doom-scrolling as much as I was. I'm not falling down into that vacuum, into that seemingly endless void. Because all that really does is bring sustained heartache and sadness. And there's plenty of that out there already. I don't need to be heaping any more of that on me. So, yeah, I'm, I'm learning to find the balance. I'm fine-tuning the balance, let's say. And I've been doing a number of things to help, actually, recently. And I'm going to share them with you just in case you want to take them, try and apply them, try and uh, configure them in a way that fits you. Or, I don't know, don't, you know, but these things have definitely been helping me. First thing is a phone curfew. I do not use or look extensively at my phone past half past 10 at night now. I will use it to set something up that is relaxing, to play something to help me to sleep. But I will not be looking through social media. I will not be looking through news cycles. I will not be reading about things or falling down YouTube rabbit holes after half past 10 at night. That is my cutoff. And it has worked tremendously. I genuinely feel much happier and healthier in a lot of ways for doing that small thing because I'm not feeding my brain information past a certain point. I'm allowing myself to wind down in the evening and kind of prepare for sleep. I'm allowing myself to sort of detach from everything that's occurred in the day, whether that be good, bad, or indifferent. And I'm allowing myself to just be and be in a place where I can rest and sleep. And I have been a lot more soundly and a a lot more consistently. The other thing I've noticed with this is that it's actually making me more productive in the day because I'm getting to sleep earlier, because I'm sleeping better. I'm getting up earlier. And when I do get up, the first thing I do usually most mornings is I will do some kind of exercise. I'll either go outside for a run or I will work out at home. Either way, I'm starting the day off with some sort of physical exercise, which makes me feel like I've already accomplished something significant by 9 o'clock in the morning, so it's good for the sort of mental affirmation aspect of doing that but it also makes me just wake up more and it just makes me feel like I'm just giving myself a surge of energy granted I am tired a little bit because of the physical exercise and the exertion but it also just sort of boosts me as well and kind of gives me a really good start to the day and I, I just cannot recommend these little changes enough if you are in a place where you're thinking I need to switch things up by all means, please feel free to take these tiny little the, the, tiny little things. But I'm telling you, they've been making a big, big difference. If you've been making changes in your life, whether it is small, big, if you've been changing things around, if you've been altering your schedule, the way you tackle your day, the way that you were doing things, I want to know what it is you're doing. I want you to share your, your tweaks, your life hacks with me, because I want to know what's working for you. I really do. Talking with Andy a couple of weeks ago about her affirmations and the exercises she does, generally was wonderful to hear. It's wonderful to take and use for yourself, but it's also great to hear that things are working for other people too. So yeah, if you've been doing something a little bit different, even if it's just one thing, even if it's just one thing, and it's made a difference, and you can feel that difference, and you can feel that change happening, I want to know what that is. Yeah, please do let me know. And the best way to get in touch with me and tell me about these changes, these tweaks, these uh, these little differences or big differences, whatever's been happening, whatever you've been switching up, whatever's been working for you, the best way to tell me about it is over on Twitter. And you can find me at I am Mal Foster. I-A-M-M-A-L-F-O-S-T-E-R. I just realized all I need... To make that a jingle is just some sort of instrumental backing. Maybe that's going to happen. Maybe I've just inadvertently found uh, a little add-on for the end of each episode. I think that's the cat meowing. Is that the cat meowing? Yeah, it's the cat meowing. She doesn't follow me on Twitter. No, it's just because she doesn't have opposable thumbs, you see. She can't work it. Meow, 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 meow. <laughs> okay, so if you're wondering what the hell that was, uh that is from a guy called Spenny Dubs on YouTube. I have used that before and I just recently found it again and thought, yeah, do you know what I'm gonna throw it in? Because it's a great little piece of music, it's a great little playful experimentation of sounds. Uh yeah, Spenny Dubs, he does a lot of different things. He gave me Blessing to sample some of his earlier work, which is what you've just heard. That is from a video that he made playing with the cat keyboard. I think that's what it's called. That's basically what it is. It's a kid's toy, in the shape of a cat. Well, not in well, no. How would that work? It's like a keyboard that has got like a cat's face. Yeah. Anyway, just just look it up. It's it's great. It's charming. And one day, if if I'm a good boy, Santa may bring it to my house one snowy Christmas Eve. Who knows? That's that's the goal. That's the goal. In fact, I'll I'll just be honest, any donations that you put forward towards the show is probably going to go towards a cat keyboard at some point. Obviously not right away, because I'd like to cover other things first, but, you know, one day. Gotta have a dream, right? Got to have a dream. Otherwise, how are you going to have a dream come true? And that leads us nicely into the main crux of this week's episode Dreams coming true. Kind of. Actually, no, it really doesn't. But this week's episode is pretty fantastic. It is just me. There is no guest. It is just my voice and a little bit of independent research, but an amazing life story. An amazing woman who has lived a hell of a life. This week's episode, as you can probably tell, because it is the title of the episode, and more than likely you've read the show description, is all about the 98-year-old legend, the wonder, the incomprehensible, the one and only Inga Ginsberg. Now, if you know Inga's story, then you know it has absolutely nothing to do with cat keyboards, although she does play piano, so she could probably bang out a smashing tune on the cat keyboard if she was given one to play with, which, you know, I don't know if she ever has done. But that's... Not what we're here for, we're not here to sort of hypothesize and speculate and fantasize about Inga playing a cat keyboard. We're here to tell her story, because honestly, it is incredible. The story of Inga Ginsberg really is something else. The three poles of her story of her life are surviving the Holocaust, thriving in Hollywood, and fronting a metal band. Yes, we're going to get there. We are going to get there. That's just to kind of hook you in. If you had no idea who Inga Ginsberg was and is, because she still is very much alive at the age of 98, as far as I know, and I'm hoping this is true. She is still very much alive, but she has lived a hell of a life, and we are going to get to that last bit that juicy, enticing piece of fruit. But to get there, like all good stories, we're going to start at the beginning. All right, lads, let's get into it. This is the life and times of Inge Ginsberg, who in 1922, on the 27th of January 1922, to be extra precise, was born Ingeborg Neufeld. Now, Inge was part of a very well-known and affluent Jewish family, a Jewish family that, like many others, was torn to pieces during the annexation of Austria to Great Germany in 1938. Her father, Fritz, was originally committed to Dachau. Now, think about that for a second. Let's just put that in its own self-contained box for a moment. Knowing that your father's been ripped away from you, and presumably she didn't know where he was going. Just crazy. But this is this is like scratching the surface of what we've got to come. So that happened. Her father was sent to Dachau. Evidently, her father actually made it over to England in the end. He was one of 937 Jewish passengers on board the SS St. Louis. Which I'm not gonna get into here because I don't it is kind of too much of a sidestep really, but that in its own is a absolutely fascinating story. If you have any interest in war history or history around that period of time, or just stories that really defy the odds of probability, you wanna dig into that. The SS St. Louis Yeah, it's it's quite the story, but it's not the focus of this story. So fast forward four years. After Inga's father, Fritz, is taken away from the family. And her, her mother, and her brother, Hans Walter, have had to hide out and survive illegally, essentially. And think about that, let's put that in his own separate box of containment. Four years after seeing your father taken away from your family, of having this awful, oppressive system closing in on your hometown, in your country, just taking over, and you are having to hide out And survive because your status as a human being is illegal. Now, I know that we're at a stage in history where we're so far removed from those events, and so much has been said about it in in true journals, true documentations, and adaptations of, of things. We've had so many movies and TV shows that we've kind of distanced ourselves from the shock value of it. But just think of it for a second think of that. Your existence as a human being is illegal. And you are having to hide out just to survive. I don't even know where to begin to even... Well, I can't comprehend that, obviously, but, you know... It's, it's, it's crazy. Absolutely crazy. So, after four years of that, after four years of survival, and about the age of either 19 or 20, and that in itself is mind-blowing, going through all of that at such a, a young age, and at such a formative age as well, like the ages of 16 to 20 are supposed to be when you were really developing as a person, and you were just living in constant fear. I Yeah. Just... Mm, beyond comprehension. So, four years of that, and Inga's mother turns to a family friend. She sells all of their valuables, all her family jewels, in exchange for safe passage into Switzerland. I say safe passage, it really wasn't that safe, because to get them smuggled from Vienna to Switzerland, the family had to go through the Alps, and during this, they almost froze to death. I mean, come on, man. You were going from four years of surviving, from hiding out, from just daily fear and anxiety, to a a path to hopeful freedom. But to get there... You have to go through such extreme conditions. (sighs) Yeah. They make it through, fortunately. That's the thing they do despite the treachery, despite almost freezing to death, despite the struggle. They do actually make it through and find themselves, like so many other people in that situation, they find themselves in a refugee camp. Now, we're going to skip forward a couple of years here because this is where the first sort of major twist in. Inga's story comes into play. In 1944, Inga is offered the job of a housekeeper in Lugano. Now, this is no ordinary house, because the house in question is actually a villa that is financed by the OSS, which is the Office of Strategic Services, an American intelligence group. And the villa, it was used basically to spy on Nazis and to help coordinate groups that were fighting against the Germans. So, just to recap, um, (laughs) in the last... Six years of this young woman's life. This 22-year-old woman now. In the last six years of her life, she's had her family torn apart when her father was taken away from them. Presumably she didn't know, or anyone else in the family didn't know where Fritz was being taken. So she's had that. She's had four years of enduring survival and hiding out and just doing whatever they possibly could to stay alive. Then they get an opportunity after trading everything they have to find safe passage And that safe passage is through a a just real treacherous route through the Alps. And then she's actually tapped to work for the American intelligence in a villa spying on Nazis. That is a very, very intense six-year period, to say the least. Anyway, and the spy villa, this is where she meets the man who would become her husband, Otto Coleman, who at the time was working as a bar pianist in Lugano, He, too, was recruited by the OSS. And, uh, yeah, this is where they met. This is where they kind of presumably bonded. Now, unfortunately, I could not find a great deal about what she did and what happened during her time at the spy villa, at the house that she was the, the housekeeper for. She does have a memoir based on this. It's all in German. I don't know if there's an English translation for it. I'm hoping there is because I would really like to get to know more about this woman and more about that period in her life because that must have been absolutely fascinating. So yeah, unfortunately I don't really know a great deal about what occurred during these periods but I do know that during her time in the espionage game Inga was actively involved in smuggling weapons from the region of Ticino. I think that's how I'm pronouncing it but then again if you've listened to this show for any amount of time you will probably know that is very, very wrong. But we're going to go with that. Ticino. So, yeah, Inga was actively involved in smuggling weapons from the region of Ticino into war zones. And she was also involved in smuggling wounded individuals from Italy into Switzerland. I wish I had more details about any of those things. I wish I had stories and anecdotes and more detailed uh, content to provide Unfortunately, I don't. But even that, on its own, is really quite remarkable. The idea of smuggling weapons into war zones and smuggling injured people out is not only just badass, but it's also really dangerous. And there, again, there's got to be some amazing stories to be pulled from that. So yeah, if I can find an English translated copy of of her memoirs, I'm going to be all over that. Like Winnie the Pooh... Honey. I'm just a
1: little cloud hovering
0: under the honey tree. So fast forward a couple of years, 1945 arrives, and obviously it is the end of the war, so that basically means both Inga and Otto aren't really needed by the American intelligence anymore, so the OSS dismiss them, and this takes us into the second stage of Inga's life. And it's here we're going to scrub forward a little bit further to 1949, where Inga and Otto were hired as in-house composers for the Swiss music company. And I'm going to have a crack at this music, the tribe. I think that's right, but then again, probably isn't. On average, during this sort of tenure with music for tribe, Otto would compose ten songs per week, and out of these ten one or two of them would be selected. Imagine that for a second. You work diligently on 10 pieces of music, 10 compositions, which, you know, putting together a single composition is not easy. But to do 10 in a week, to find that only one or two of them are picked, it's kind of got to be a bit disheartening. I mean, it's good that he was getting one or two of them picked, at least. But still, after doing about 10 on average, yeah, got to be pretty tough. By the way, Music for Tribe is still actually an active label, and they have quite a few artists on it by the looks of things. I'm just looking at their website right now. The first sort of featured artist on their site is a band called Deer Park Avenue, which appears to be two young women. And I just had a little quick listen to a a video that seems to be in 8-bit form, like 8-bit sort of animation, called Hate Me. And it seems like it's, it's pretty straightforward sort of indie rock stuff, but it it seems pretty good, actually. I've just listened to a little snippet, but it seems pretty good. So yeah, Music for Tribe still very much alive and and kicking the bass drum, as it were. Anyway, back to Inga and Otto, who had been working with Music for Tribe, kind of made an inroads there, got a bit of notoriety, started working with the German film production company Gloria Film, got quite a bit of success there. In fact, so much success that in 1955, both Inga and Otto were actually recruited by Capitol Records, yes, the Capitol Records, to compose songs for Hollywood productions. So in that 10-year window, after the war ended and the OSS decided to let them go, they dismissed them from their intelligence services, they have really found a completely different avenue. They've worked really hard, and that hard work has obviously paid off, as, you know, the fact that getting recruited by Capitol Records as is a testament to. So yeah, they move to Hollywood and they start working on musical pieces for big productions. Start writing material for the likes of Doris Day and Nat King Cole and even Dean Martin. That's right, old Ring-A-Ding-Ding. Yeah, Ring-A-Ding-Ding indeed. Dino. Writing music for Dino in thanks of the song Try Again. That was written by Inga and Otto. If you mean need- with defeat try again but it wasn't to last because Inga, by the late 50s had grown tired of hollywood life she just didn't care for it lads she didn't care for it in her own words she described it all as fake and let's be honest she's not exactly wrong is she so she and otto who as a Little side note. I say a little side note. It's kind of a big side note. It's of great importance, really, in the life and times of Inga Uh Yeah, Otto was the father to their only child, a daughter. Uh, they all returned to Europe. But following their return to Europe, Inga and Otto split. And this takes us into the third stage of Inga's life. Following her split from Otto... Inga moved to Israel, where she lived for the next 10 years. And in that 10 years, went through two other marriages. And here's a little quote for you. This is the first of a few quotes that you're going to get from Inga Ginsberg in this episode. Yeah, this is is regarding uh, her love life and her marriages. I've been married three times legally, and I've had a lot of boyfriends. At one time, I had four at the same time. One to live, one to laugh. One for fun, and one to cover the whole game with his name. I'm a very moral person, but I have my own moral laws. I never hurt anybody. I don't think I have done any injustice to anybody. Wow. She was uh, quite the player. Four fellas at the same time. And as she said there, one to live, one to laugh, one for fun, And I don't really understand this bit, but one to cover the whole game with his name. So he presumably just ticked all of the boxes and the other three were just for a fun time. I guess. I don't know. She seems, from everything that I've seen and read about her and and found out about her, she seems like a really strong-willed but free-spirited person. And she she clearly knows what she wants. And, uh, you know... You can't really argue with that, I guess. If Inga wants four boyfriends, well, Inga's going to have four boyfriends. And as long as they all know about it, who's to say anything different about that? Who's to Who's to point a finger? Certainly not me. Go for it, girl. You get yourself some. During a time in Israel, Inga continued to write and has apparently created hundreds and hundreds of poems, both in English and German. And here's another little quote for you regarding her writing. Nothing inspires me. It writes itself. You can't order poetry, you can't make it. I always say I just channel it. It comes from the universe down to me, and I write it down. That's all. So here's a question for anybody that is creatively minded, that does anything creative, whether it is actually writing, or it's making music, or it's photography, or it's something to do with textiles, knitting, uh, fashion, whatever making little dioramas which by the way i actually saw someone that does that makes dioramas like tiny little mini scale dioramas their project name is glass cathedrals check it out fantastic but whatever it is you do if you do something creative whether it is as i said knitting i guess that's creative right who am i to laugh at that who am i to chuckle at someone knitting you can get really creative with a pair of needles anyway If you do something creative, what I want to know is, do you agree with that? Do you agree with the idea that, you know, what Inga's saying here about she doesn't actually write it herself? You know, nothing inspires her. It just comes to her and that she channels that. Do you, if you are creative, do you feel that approach is is how it works for you? Do you feel like you just sort of absorb something? You absorb what comes out, that you are basically a sort of conduit, a vessel of sorts Or do you feel more like you are actually manifesting what it is you're creating, what it is you're making? Do you feel like you are actually producing from yourself the art that you make? Or do you feel like Inga, that you are simply channeling it? So, yeah, if you are a creative type, if you're one of those creative kind of people and you like to make things, first and foremost, what is it that you actually like to make? I genuinely would like to know that. And I'd also like to know, which school of thought do you identify with? Are you on board with Inga's ideology, or not? Yeah, get in touch and let me know. Anyway, back to Inga and her poetry. So, after a musician friend of hers by the name of Pedro de Silva read some of Inga's poetry, he was reminded of death metal lyrics, and suggested, because in Inga's own words, I can't sing, I can't carry a tune. So, the workaround for this, in Pedro's mind, was that maybe instead of singing them, she could shout them instead. Now, this was an idea that just deeply resonated with Inga, because again, in her words, heavy metal works because I just have to say the words. So, with this train of thought, Inga Ginsburg's second wave within her musical career began. Alongside Pedro da Silva and other musicians, Inga formed the musical force that was to become known as Inga and the Tritone Kings. I think that's how you pronounce it. But then again, I'm not exactly sure. I mean, I don't really have the best track record for that kind of thing on here, do I? So, it probably isn't that at all. That's how it looks anyway. So we'll go with that. Inga Ginsberg and the Tritone Kings. But before the Tritone Kings actually kind of really genuinely became a thing... Inga kind of had a stab at music again by herself. In 2013, she'd applied to represent Switzerland in the 2014 Eurovision Song Contest with a song known as Inga Ginsberg's song. Now, granted, it's not the most original or thought-provoking title, but apparently the song itself was sort of focused on suicide rates amongst young people, and uh, a song that was designed to be life-affirming and encouraging. So, despite how the song sounds, and despite the uh, the title of the song, I've got to take my hat off to Inga. Anytime a musician can use their craft, can use their platform to tackle social issues, to talk about real things that are affecting real people, then, yeah, no matter how bad the song title is, no matter how much you might not like the song, you've got to give credit where credit's due, you know? Despite her good intentions, Inga Ginsberg's song was eliminated in the preliminary round, and Inga unfortunately did not go any further. However, not to be deterred, Inga came back the following year all mobbed up with the Tritone Kings, and they submitted the song Toten Komtchen, which is probably a terrible massacre of how that is actually pronounced. Anyway, Toten Komtchen basically translates as laugh At death and contain such lyrics as drink and eat, sing and laugh, then the devil will go back to hell. Now, that is some pretty metal shit right there. Despite a kick-ass tune, Inga and the Tritone Kings never actually made it out of the preliminary round and didn't achieve their goal of getting into Eurovision, which, I'm going to be honest, I'm not a fan of Eurovision, so I think you did better off without, to be honest, Inga. Just saying. Anyway, despite not making it into Eurovision, Inga and the Tritone Kings have continued to make music, as far as I know, and that music is really, again, as I was saying about her song... Originally for Eurovision, it tackles a variety of topics social issues, including the hardships that she's endured personally, love, death, environmentalism, and in general, just not caring what anyone thinks about her, which is just absolutely marvelous. I mean, she's not traditional in the least. This woman is not traditional, she is not average, she is not quote unquote normal, and that is what makes her such an absolute treasure. It goes without saying, if you've enjoyed this story, and there is absolutely no reason you shouldn't have because it's an incredible story about an incredible woman with an incredible life, then you definitely need to go check out the music and, more to the point, the music videos. You can just tell that Inga is having so much fun. It is written all over her face, but you can also tell that she's genuinely passionate about what she is singing about, about what she has written for these songs. You know, if you didn't catch it in that little clip, I want to sort of just read this piece of uh, songwriting, these lyrics for you as a quote. And I've got a few more quotes as well for you to round the show off. So from that track, which you just heard a little brief snippet of, because I had to include some samples. Just had to. But again, you should definitely check out the whole thing. The track is called The Universe Echoes Back. And the lines that you heard, If you sow hatred, the universe echoes back. Radiate love. The universe echoes back, and you know, weirdly enough, those lyrics feel more appropriate now than honestly I don't know when. Um, but yeah, you just think of that: if you sell hatred, the universe echoes back; radiate love, the universe echoes back. Such a simple, simple ideology, but it's one that it carries so much weight. So much weight, and that is so relevant right now. So yeah, I love that. I love Inga. I think she's great, and hopefully you guys do too. You might not be into the music, metal might not be your thing, but surely you can appreciate just what a wonderful, and it just... (laughs) mind-boggling life this woman has had. As I mentioned a little bit earlier, she did write a memoir, which is called The Partisan Villa, Memories of Escape Secret Service and Numerous Hits. That was put out in 2008, I believe, but I do think it is only from what I can find, at least, in German. If there is an English translated version, I would love to know. So if you find that, please do tell me because I would just be So fascinated by what that woman has to say, especially in that time of her life, being the housekeeper in a spy villa. Absolutely fascinating. She also put out another book, which I believe is like a novella. It's like a non-fiction novella called No Flowers in the Rainforest that came out in 2013. And she put another book out called A Life Story, The Poems of Inga Ginsberg, out in 2014. So yeah, plenty to sort of dive into if you want to go explore a little bit deeper. If that is the case, then I absolutely recommend you hit up YouTube and look for a short documentary called Death Metal Grandma. It's about 12 minutes, I think, give or take. Uh, it was for the New York Times, and it was directed by Leah Galant, and it kind of focuses more on... Inga's time with the Tritone Kings and and the idea of forming uh, a metal project. So, if you're wanting to look a little bit closer at that side of her story, that is definitely worth checking out. As I said, that is available on YouTube. It is called Deaf Metal Grandma. Anyway, to round off this episode, I want to leave you with some quotes from Inga that I particularly like and, and feel resonate. The first one is, don't destroy what you can't replace. Now, obviously, on the surface, that seems like it is part of her thoughts and feelings towards environmentalism and preservation. It definitely applies to that, but it also applies to so much more. Don't destroy what you can't replace. Great life advice in general. I got two more for you. One is on getting older, and in Inga's words... It's important to stay active and surround yourself with young people and keep doing things you've never done before. Yes, Inga, absolutely. All about that. Doing things you've never done before. Sometimes it's scary. Sometimes it's tough. But it's uh, it's important, right? It's important that we keep giving ourselves challenges and saying yes to things and opening ourselves up to opportunity. Absolutely love that. And your last one. Your last one is this. freedom is really there. But you have to be strong. To be free, you can't blame anybody else for your decisions, and that takes both shoulders. Yeah. Gotta hold yourself accountable. You've gotta be proactive. You've gotta go out there and get it. DDFH. And I think Inga would agree with that. So there you go. That is our episode on Inga Ginsberg. That is it. Hope you've enjoyed it. It has been interesting for me to dig into and find out more about this fascinating woman. As I say, I want to get some of those source materials and uh, find out things about her from her own perspective more. Because I do generally find her perspective very interesting and it's something that I do sort of vibe with for sure. Next week, we are going back to special guests, and we do have some special guests in the sense that they are breaking records. Well, not breaking records, actually setting a record. It is the first episode in which we have more than one guest. That's right, it's going to be a three person round table. Although, I guess technically it can't be a round table with three people. A three person tripod cast. Yeah. All right, we'll go with that. It's a tripod cast. It's featuring the first married couple on Dimed Out. Shout out to the Armalays, Pamela and Armando. Going to be joining me next week and the week after. Next week, we are going to be talking about what it has been like living virus-free on an island for some time now. That's going to be fascinating. We're going to be talking about the philosophy of small spoons. I'm going to say no more. Just going to leave that dangling there for you as a tease. going to be talking about Bigfoot over cryptic beasts. And uh, we're going to throw out a time travel based hypothetical just for the lols. The following week, we're going to be talking exclusively and extensively about movie robots throughout history. In particular, their favorite movie robots, which, by the way, if you want to get involved and get on board with that, you want to compile a list of your favorite movie robots, then please feel free to do so and let me know what they are. Which machines that go beep boop have you always had an affinity for? I want to know. And on that note, that pretty much does it for this week's episode. Hope you've enjoyed it. If you have and you want to help support the show and at the same time make sure you never miss any future episodes, then the best way you can kill both of those birds with one digital stone is by subscribing to Dimed Out wherever you get your podcasts from. As easy as that, and it does make a big difference, as does giving us a rating and a review. If you're so inclined to do so, that will help out tremendously with all the internet gubbins, the algorithms, and uh, the, the, the alchemy that goes on. If you want to get involved with the show, then absolutely you are welcome aboard. Go visit the website, out.com Get in touch with me on Twitter. As I mentioned before, you can find me at I am Malfoster That way you can tell me what you want to see from the show moving forward what you've enjoyed about the show so far, what you haven't enjoyed about the show so far. But if you're going to do that, just, uh, you know, be nice about it. Don't be a Karen. In a world of Karens, don't be one. Instead, be an Inga. And I think that's that's the message I want to leave you with this week, guys. In a world of Karens, be an Inga. Look after yourselves, look after each other. And until next week, keep it dying out